0: Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind the scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And
1: now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose.
2: Hi, good day. My name's Enrique Alvarez, and I'm here again for another very exciting episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hey, Maureen, how are you doing? Twice the same week. I'm so happy that you're my co-host again.
1: I know. I feel honored. I uh, I get to be uh, sharing this opportunity with you two days in a row.
2: I know I'm the one that's really happy to do it. And uh, of course, we have a very interesting guest, an organization that has been doing amazing for the last couple of years, and they have actually launched a couple of new um, tasks and uh, task force or or organizations even that we'll find out a little bit more Um, with us today. And I guess without further ado, Dan Marsh, Chief Executive Officer at the WCA World. Hey, Dan, how are you doing?
0: Hey, Enrique. I'm great. So it's good to see you again a couple of days after seeing you in the Netherlands.
2: I know. I, I had the pleasure of uh, having lunch with Dan this week, which is very rare given that we're never in the same continent and he travels all around the world. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for giving me some time to do that too.
0: And isn't it great to be traveling again?
2: I know. It was fun to kind of see each other face-to-face, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was brilliant. And the, the, the small conference we just had... Uh, to see all those smiling faces and people really overjoyed to be back in the same room and not doing what we're doing right now, but talking on Zoom, but actually, actually sharing uh, stories and drinks together and and reconnecting, it was uh, it, it filled my heart after two years of of uh, of pain of not being able to see these people. So it was it was a great week.
2: Absolutely, especially you, right, as the leader of an organization that relies on networking and seeing each other face to face. It must have felt like hey reconnecting with old friends and
0: exactly it, it, you just slipped straight back into it it's like it you know it, it's like it never happened and and the people are still great and they're so happy to you know be able to finally reconnect with each other from countries that, that they hadn't seen each other for 3 years or so it's uh it, i'm glad it's back and let's hope it stays that way
1: well dan you're in the UK right
0: i'm in the UK right now yeah
1: yeah, because you guys had some pretty strict lockdowns for a while as well. I think a, a bit more than we experienced in the U.S. So I'm sure uh, the yeah. feeling of freedom feels a little bit better for you because it was
0: it, pretty it, strict. It is. We we had it strict for certainly that first year and into the yeah. uh, the, the winter and spring of the second year. Was, uh, it was tough. It came and went. Think you think you're coming out of it. And then a new wave would hit and we'd all be locked down again. Yeah, but I, I, I think my wife and children are more glad that I'm traveling again than anyone because they've seen more than <laughs> enough of me for two years. But yeah, so uh, the next one is a, is a conference in Dublin we have in, in June. Uh, that'll be bigger. That'll be 700 plus people and that'll be noisy and, and raucous, but a lot of business and a lot of new partnerships formed. So I can't wait for that. What's the
1: topic for that one?
0: Uh, it's just a regional conference. Uh-huh. So um, we decided normally each year we do a very large conference with, with up to 3,000 freight forwarders attending of our members. Uh, it hasn't been possible in COVID. So we thought this year, instead of doing uh, one very large one, which, is, which has been problematic to organize, as you can imagine, we normally yeah. hold it in Asia. Asia's Parts of Asia are still in lockdown. Right. We're holding a series of a little bit smaller, but still pretty large regional conferences. So it's it's no theme; it's just anyone from anywhere in the world that can make it to Europe can come along and reconnect with all their current partners and hopefully find some new business.
1: I'm going to check my calendar for that one in Dublin, right, Enrique?
0: <laughs> that sounds like a fun
2: one. Uh, but so before before we jump too ahead of ourselves, yeah. right? Because yes. uh, we'll talk a little more about the WCA and your professional career in a second. But Going back to your childhood, if you could tell us a little more about who Dan Marsh is. Who, who, who are you, Dan?
0: Well, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. You probably get a lot of different It's a
1: loaded different question. Different people.
0: Yeah. But I, I was born in um, in a historic city in the in the west of England called Bristol. It's an old port city in the uh, early 1970s. And uh, I grew up, spent my first 18 years there with uh, my three siblings and, and my parents. Um, and it was a lot of fun we it was tough times in the early 80s in the uk it was it was economically struggling a bit um we didn't have tons of material possessions or goods but i had a great um environment to live in great friends supportive family and and i had a a lot of fun i probably should have worked a bit harder but i had a lot of fun and, and we're a pretty happy childhood so that was my uh my start in life. Um, and then I moved off to university in London. Well, hold on, before
2: feet. before you rush, we're yeah. not going to let you go that easily when it comes to your childhood days. But um, yeah. so favorite sport?
0: Well, uh, traditionally, the West Country where I grew up, rugby was, was the big sport, um, certainly in schools. Uh, so the winter sport was rugby. The summer sport was cricket. Two sports that I know in the U.S., doesn't have a lot of uh, <laughs> uh penetration into the into the into into the social fabric. But also soccer or football as we call it um was also big.
2: As the rest of the world calls it.
0: <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's only you that calls it soccer. But uh yeah. Uh I played any sport I could. I loved it. I and I was cycling all the time, played tennis, swam for the county, uh, did a bit of running for the county. I think I was hyperactive but I was always uh, always at the house doing something or other whether it was uh, cycling around town doing stuff with my friends or, or doing organized sport that's what uh, what I really enjoyed But rugby is a great game uh it's a bit like I guess the closest thing you have is is NFL American football uh it's a little different but it's um it teaches you a lot of values that other sports don't. There's a real code of of behaviour and ethics in rugby that I think stands you in good stead. And it's I still I physical still,
1: sport, isn't it?
0: It's physical. It's very physical. Yeah. But but the crazy thing is that you uh, you bash the living daylights out of your opposition for for an hour and a half on the uh, on the rugby pitch. But the minute that final whistle's gone, it's gone, and you you, you all have a drink together share together have a meal together you put on your club tie and have dinner together afterwards and reminisce and say hey yeah you got me when you stamped on my head or (laughs) kicked me in the face yeah that was a good one and and all the animal you know all the aggression's gone on the pitch and it's all about the social afterwards so it's that good balance a little bit dangerous but a good balance
2: Any story, Dan, kind of from your early days that kind of shaped who, who you are and slowly starting to give us some hints into what you chose the professional path that, that you um, chose?
0: Well, maybe if we go back to the rugby, I, I was, as I said, I went to school. I went to a state school, not a fee-paying school. We didn't have the money to go for me to go to one of the top schools or my all my siblings. So uh rugby at school, we played a lot of um uh, expensive fee schools uh, who were very good had the top coaches, top equipment, top training. Even us, uh, you know, um, had scholarships for the better rugby players. Whilst we were a, a state school where our our sports teacher was on strike most of the of the year. We I was <laughs> playing in the top level. And what what it told me, um, we decided to come together as a team, even though we had no organised training. And we decided at the beginning of the year we were going to try and beat some of these better schools that we hadn't beaten for two decades. So we we sort of trained together. And then it came to the match day where we played the one of the top two schools, which was um in a beautiful surroundings, very opulent. Uh, and us bedraggled people with wrong-colored socks on turned up and they were laughing at us. But we knew we were pretty good by then, and we were determined and we knew we we tried hard. We trained hard. We didn't have the facilities, but we went into the game, and and it always sticks in my mind because we we won that game narrowly, but it was a shock on the faces of this very uh, privileged school and and the pupils within the school that they'd been beaten by the uh, the from down the road yes, and the uh, underdogs, yeah, win right. again. And that, and that and that's what taught me. I mean, I've always loved to to fight for the underdog and I think it's much more satisfying to uh be an underdog and 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 achieve than to to have that um privilege at the beginning and and maintain it it's uh and it's the two things that told me was teamwork because we didn't have better play we weren't better players we just were a better team and we just wanted it more and those two things I think if you want something and you apply yourself, but also you bring a team with you, you're going to, you're going to succeed more than you're going to fail for sure. So I guess that's one of the lessons I took. Um, the other thing was, uh, I didn't tell you, but um, my my father was an aviation nut and he trawled me around air shows and airfields every weekend from when I could barely walk for, for years and years and years. And I got a real aviation bug. So, uh, I uh, I decided to that the, my career path was to, would be to join the air force. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but um, for various reasons that didn't work out. Um, what, was your
2: dad a pilot, or did he? No, he he. Just, pilot he just, any just, planes, or he just loved planes. But
0: when he was younger, he was he was actually um, born you know just before the Battle of Britain in nineteen forty, when the Germans were were bombing Bristol because Bristol had a big a- aircraft manufacturing airfield and uh his uh my grandmother put him under the table when the bombs were falling or down in the homemade air raid shelter. But soon after that, you know, in the post-war era where aviation was expanding the first jet aircraft, a lot of the development in the UK was done uh, up the road at the airfield near Bristol. And my dad used to cycle up there and see these wacky planes and prototypes nice. flying and he just got a bug for it. And it eventually he saved up enough to get his private pilot's license so then he flew a little Cessna for uh, all his life he's 83 and he's giving up his license this, this year but he's flown every year since before I was born till till this year he's wow. flown his little Cessna around and did I used you guys to fly with you or your siblings had to fly with him at all when you were
1: younger yeah
0: yeah oh. I mean well, I thought that was normal on a Saturday you get <laughs> That's up <awesome>. you <laughs> get in a little plane yeah, I'll tell you one one little trick he used to do with me. So when when you are flying a Cessna, you know that's left, right, uh, up, and down. But on the ground, you 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 steer with the rudder pedals with your feet. So when you're going around corners on the ground, when I was five, my dad used to sit me on his on his lap on the controls and say, "All right, you can steer it back to the hangar." And I always thought I was doing it with this, but really, he was <laughs> doing it with, with his feet so uh,
1: for, no. for five
0: years. I was like, did I steer that well? Daddy go, Yeah, that was brilliant. You did it (laughs) perfectly. Yeah, I'm really good at this. Not really. It's awesome. Actually, I wasn't doing anything at all. (laughs) That is a great story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever learn to fly as well,
0: Dan? Yeah. So that that sort of comes on to the latest. I really wanted to be a fighter pilot and I went to uni, but at the same time, I applied to the Air Force. And they said, Right, we'll put you on a scholarship. We'll teach you to fly small planes as uh, initial training. Well, before actually, I went to uni in that summer before. So I flew solo in a light plane before I got my driving license.
2: Oh. So, wow!
0: Yeah, <laughs> I flew flew solo in a little plane at seventeen, and I hadn't even I couldn't even drive a car. So that was quite strange. Oh. That first time you go up on your own at seventeen is quite strange as well. Mm. But then I went away to uni, did my course for three years, and when I came out. Uh, there were big defence cuts in the UK, and they said, "Hey, we're not we're not taking on any pilots for three or four years." So that was a tough time for me uh, because I had what I thought right. I wanted to do set in my mind, and I think that teaches you, you know, looking back at when I was that age. If I could go back, I would say, "Don't waste that next year being, you know, upset and angry, but actually realize that okay." a door shut but but another one will open if you go and look at look for it and you go and kick it down. So I I probably did waste uh, a year of my life not knowing what I was doing and feeling a bit sorry for myself at 21. But then uh I thought I'd better do something about it and, and moved on and became a, a military journalist. Next best thing. So I did all the flying and fast jets but just as a journalist, not as a not as a pilot. So, I traveled around the world with air forces for about uh, how long? Uh, 15 years, 12, 12 years. Um, wow. Going on exercise. So, you, you have the
2: travel bug early on as well, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. That's not only flying, but back. going and visiting new places, it sounds like.
0: Yeah. So, so with the Air Force, we went on exercise to Canada and the US. I also flew with the US Navy. I flew with the Czech Air Force. I flew wow. with the Singapore Air Force. I flew with what do you have
2: to do when you're on those planes? You're taking notes and interviewing? What's, yeah, we're, what's we're
0: interviewing. Raw? I mean, sometimes if you're on exercise, you're you're doing it for for military publications who who you obviously can't reveal too many secrets. But you're talking about right. the aircraft, the tactics, the pilots. You know, um, but flying in a fast jet is not easy. You get out exhausted. You, you, you know, you're pulling a lot of G force and it's very easy to pass out you quite often get that black shroud come around your vision till it goes to a spot and then the g-force comes oh. comes off and it disappears but
1: just right you know, when you get off the plane you feel that way or while you're flying
0: no okay. whilst you're flying because yeah. you know you, you're doing these big high g so if you're uh uh i don't know a 150 pound guy if you pull you know 5g you, you, you weigh six seven hundred pounds and your head weighs six times what it normally does and so do your arms so it's it's very physical actually although you're sitting not moving flying a fast jet i can tell you it's really physical you got to be fit i couldn't do it now
2: did, did one of those pilots ever let you fly a little bit i mean wouldn't yeah you, yeah couldn't you convince them to do that
0: yeah 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 i mean when it's safe you can you know okay, let me
2: uh, <laughs> let me take over. I've
0: got, uh, I've done. I've dropped dummy bombs on a Welsh bridge. That's I've, awesome. uh, I've launched dummy torpedoes from a plane called a Nimrod in in the Arctic Ocean against a, a pretend Russian submarine. All sorts of stuff. That Soviet super submarine, cool. I should say. From those days, not Russian, but yeah, it was fun. Um, and, uh, then the red tape got too much after the you know um, first Gulf War and, and so on. It came a lot harder to get access to the people and the aircraft. It became a lot more restrictive, and the fun sort of drifted out of it. And I thought it's time for a career change, so I went into logistics.
1: (laughs)
2: So, yes, explain us
0: that job pivot. Though,
1: how did you do that? Yeah.
0: Well, it actually came about because I I decided I was looking for a new new career, but I was I was an editor and a journalist, so I thought I'd stay in that. And I was talking to someone. They said, "Hey, there's a there's a job come up at uh, one of the at the time one of the leading logistics publications in Europe that was called Air Cargo News." And I thought, "My word, that sounds boring." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, every job thought, was going to sound boring after.
1: Yeah, you're uh, flying in a.
2: Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> right. dropping dummy bombs on targets yeah. and yeah.
0: But but then I, I went for the interview and I thought, well actually there's a bit more to this and i thought it's not just talking about people packing boxes it's actually a whole world of supply chain and stuff that people don't really realize is going on and they don't realize how everything moves around the world and and the people involved and by then i was i was really getting more um interested in the in the stories of how things worked and and the people behind them rather than than just reporting on how fast an aeroplane can fly so <laughs> It, I joined and I had a great five, six years there. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot about the business. And I sort of caught the bug that logistics is not a glamorous business, but the people within it are not only inventive and clever, but they are also great people and very sociable and happy to, to give their knowledge to other people and happy to pass that on. You don't get that in every industry, but in our industry, I've really found a real openness and, and eagerness to not only learn from other people, but to give, give, you know, your knowledge and information to other people. So I sort of fell in love with it. And uh, and from that point, when we were also doing some events, I first met the founder of WCA, David Yoakum. E. And uh we, we we held a joint event in Bangkok and... Well
2: Dan before before you go any further, what, what is yeah. the WCA? For everyone that's listening to us right now, yeah. and some of them may, some of them might not know what the WCA is and, and sure. what is it about? You could tell us a quick kind of uh explanation. I'll give,
0: I'll give you a quick synopsis. Uh so back in the in the nineties, you know, uh logistics is expanding. Um there's there's logistics companies around the world, but the the real explosion from China and Asia and goods traveling around the world, it became more and more difficult for independent freight forwarding companies, logistics companies to find the partners they need to to complete the shipments easily and securely and know they could trust these people. So um, say you're a forwarder in the US, you, you started off as a customs broker, you go. I, I want to get a bit more into the freight forwarding and transportation side. Uh, I've got some customers, but how do I find a how do I find a partner in Germany, in Nigeria, in South Africa, in Taiwan, in in Hong Kong? I don't know them. Do I get out a book and just take potluck?
2: And there, there was no Google back then, right? You couldn't Google. There was that. no
0: internet. There was no. Uh, you know, you just had to try and find a directory somewhere and and take pot luck and phone up and hope they they were good companies and and we're gonna. Do the profit share with you fairly. Oh. So um, at that time, our founder and still chairman, Dave Yokum, um, his brother was a, a customs broker and he learned a little bit about the business and decided that what they really needed as a as an industry or as SME companies, logistics companies in the industry, was a, was a network that could not only bring in the good companies and audit them to check they were financially secure and and could do the things they claimed, but also um, connect people, provide that that network that allowed you, instead of spending days searching for a partner and and then having to credit check them or audit them, you could just join the network and know you were secure in working in that network and build your business within the network. And I must say, it took David uh, a huge amount of effort and time. And risk, and his own, you know, uh, passion. Because he was a a one or or maybe a two-person band at the beginning. He was traveling 300 days a year to every country to try and find members to 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 attract them to the network. And those first few years were tough, but he did it and, and brought on more people. And and WCA now is the largest logistics network in the world. We have members in now 181 countries. Um, we have over 10,500 member offices, something a little over 7,500 companies. Um, each one is audited. Each one can work with another member with full financial security and and save, save themselves a lot of time, money and effort and, and locate really good partners to build their business. It's like the good parts of a multinational without the bad right. parts. <laughs> you, you've got the global reach. You've got the uh, ability to to find a, an agent or a solution anywhere, whether it's pharma, dangerous goods, uh, project cargo, whatever it is. Um, you can find someone in the network who can handle your goods, but you don't have the issue, but you still have that personal touch right. that the smaller companies have with their customers, that personal service that only small and regional forwarders can provide just because of their size. I'm not going to make this by any means a... Uh, a large multinational bashing because they certainly have their place and they do, you know, the, the, some work that, that a smaller afforder couldn't do. But in terms of providing service, a personal service, but with a global reach, that was what WCA was really intended to solve. And I think we're a, we've gone a long way to to help a lot of members achieve that
2: no absolutely um did you do you think that uh and i i wanted to ask you that the other day uh but um do you think there was like a key moment or like a key strategy where at some point david and his team back then reached that tipping point and because yes just went from literally from zero right i mean it he literally yes. had the first member the second member and all of a sudden there's 10,000 and 180 countries yeah. plus and you guys continue to grow what what was that what do you think that that changed
0: there, there, there were two things that really helped. One was so, so David started in 1998. Um, China, what the first thing is, China was just opening up, uh, really, really started growing at an incredible rate, and exporting exports were multiplying each year by by ludicrous amounts. And everyone wanted a piece of the market, and but didn't know how to connect with China. So, David spent a huge amount of time in China. Getting to know not only the, 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 the Freight Forwarding Association, which is government-owned, CIFA, who, who were a big help, but also anyone he could find in, in logistics in China, he would go back and back and back until he had the, 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 the reputation there that would allow him to talk to, to people at a level that to get things done. And China is now still massively important for us. It's still massively important for everyone. But that provided a big catalyst for us. We we had a permanent sort of ability to open up China that most other people didn't at that time. The other, the other very important thing that we did at that time was introduce the financial protection that no one wow. else offered at that time. That is really a big glue. So before... We could find you a member, but if you're on a profit share, you were you still, still need to never, trust. Right. You were still never guaranteed to get your money because they could go bankrupt. They could decide that you'd done something wrong. There was a dispute over the shipment. With WCA, we said, right, okay. We are confident in our members. So what we're going to say is if your partner doesn't pay you, we will pay you. So if if wow. your partner uh, defaults on a payment, you don't have to worry. You just make a claim after 90 days and we will pay what you were owed. And that has been probably at that time the key uh, benefit that was introduced and is still very important today that allows members to work with complete peace of mind with another member. Uh, their accounting teams obviously love it because. Right. don't have to credit check every company they work with because they they know that if they don't get paid we'll pay and uh yeah that was that was unique in the industry at the time no one else was offering that and that brought in a lot of members through referrals because if you're working with someone who's a non-member you want to be protected so you'll say hey you should join this group um or sometimes even i'm not going to carry on working with you unless you join this group so it it was almost through referral and member recommendations to the partners they already worked with that that helped us grow at a really healthy rate from all through the uh, through the the period from two thousand two three onwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: So Dan, something real quick that I think it's worth noting is that you talked about how the company really started you know, in the late nineties. And for most of us, we forget what it was like before Google and the internet and yeah. your very savvy website where you log in and you yeah. look at the country you're looking for and the agents there. And then what do they, what do they do? And it's already a vetted yeah. system. Do you have any perspective on how the the first kind of iteration of the WCA network spread its wings was it was it a catalog that people subscribed to or how did you get the your name out there because you did all yeah, this it, work and but how did how did you actually connect people
0: it, it was it was really a case of number one um fairly rapidly establishing uh offices in various regions so we we set up in china very early with our own office we set up in in asia in bangkok we set up in europe in amsterdam very early and in the us and also at that time in argentina in, in southern america so having that local um presence uh was important because we could go and physically see the members and if they needed anything or needed recommendations or connections um Actually, in the late '90s, that's just when the internet was getting going. So it was dial-up; it was slow. If you remember dial-up, yeah, uh, you know, you you <laughs> take uh, you ten minutes to get online, and, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And, and very soon, we did have uh, a usable directory and database uh, on on online. Yes, it was much slower than it was today, but people could still use that. Along with using our staff, they would phone up and still do every day uh, all our officers and say, hey, Dan, hey, Irwin, hey, hey, Monica, I'm looking for an agent who's got cold storage who can do this or that. Or I'm looking for an agent who can handle this type of commodity or who's the best agent you have in this city. And our, our staff are still either by email or phone every day uh, linking people together of course people find their own partners especially at the meetings and and the meetings are really important because you cannot really do long-term business with someone unless you sat down face to face with them I truly believe that still it's really important to get to know the person and trust them and then you're ready to develop business together and those long-term partnerships instead of having to travel to 40 countries to see all your partners you can go to one meeting at wca you can meet them all in a week you save tens of thousands on travel and weeks of travel time to be able to meet all your partners in one place at one time plus the opportunity to develop new business with new people so those those conferences have always been vital in in connecting people together you think you're going to work with a company but you get meet them and see what they've got and other people have got and when you see it in the flesh maybe you think i've just got a better chemistry with this company i'm going to go with them yeah um and that's the way it works uh the conferences were really important they were extremely well intended pretty much every member would attend once or twice a year to to meet met their partners and and, and create new partnerships face to face but yes yeah, so it, it's a mixture of phone email referrals from us uh the conferences And obviously now we've got a much more sophisticated uh, website and database where people can find people, but they still come to us to say, is this company any good? We found them on the, we know they're a member, we found them on the directory, we know they're a member, but can you tell us a bit more about them?
2: It's Yeah, and I think I agree with you. It's always going to be about the relationship, right? It's really about uh, people connecting with people and technology helps and supports that, but at the end of the day, Nothing beats the fact that you can talk to someone face-to-face and, and get a feel of what their company is, because usually individuals reflect a little bit of the values behind their organizations. Um, and in the same sense, uh, the WCA and changing gears a little bit, uh, Dan, although, Maureen, I think you had one question on this topic before we switch quickly. Well,
1: I, ha- I had a question. It wasn't something we had talked about beforehand, but I was thinking about, you know, we're building upon, Enrique and I have talked about this the past couple interviews we've been on, and I've, it's a recurring theme, I think, in the supply chain logistics industry right now, is that nobody really understood what we did or yeah. what until COVID, until now, yeah. it's like, where's my stuff, right? So yeah. all these conversations, Enrique and I talked about this yesterday, like before COVID, we talk about what we would do, and people just kind of give you that blank stare and yeah. then change a subject now. You you can tie in supply chain, operations, logistics into most conversations because it's so relevant to all these other industries that nobody ever thought about. So we talked about that a little bit, but then also we're talking about face-to-face relationships, meeting people. And then what happens? COVID happened. We're all kind of on lockdown. But what happened to our industry, that did not really slow down. That was busier um and so any sort of insight or takeaways you had from that experience with the wca you know two years of lockdowns that were kind of occurring in different areas of the world at at different times but you know a necessity for increased volume there's all these things changing um we're kind of coming out of that now but would love to hear any of your thoughts on that yeah i i you know when when
0: covid struck I, I don't think any of us knew quite what was gonna happen there was a lot of nervousness about i think we all thought uh,
1: it was gonna be two weeks of two week lockdown
0: <laughs> yeah and 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 then it went on and the people like oh dear are we gonna have to change our model are we gonna have to make people redundant um are we gonna survive are we gonna prosper and what became apparent is uh, to a couple of things first of all our members are so because of their size, are so much more flexible and can easily adapt to situations. So immediately there was a lot of chatter. Um, I'll give a couple of examples. We set up a charter forum immediately for our members who, you remember, the demand for PPE at that time was huge. No one could get any PPE. Every country wanted it. Every country, and, and all the passenger airlines stopped flying, so there was no lift. So the demand for freighters was was crazy to mm-hmm. fly this stuff around. So we managed to set up a, a, a charter, um, a sort of charter group a forum that allowed airlines who had aircraft, freight forwarders, logistics providers, anyone involved to coordinate on a single platform for PPE shipments. Mm-hmm. So that that's an, another immediate thing of how technology can help. You can sort of get everyone who's got a sudden need on a platform give them the basics and say, look, here's, if you've got a request, put it here. If you've got a capacity, put it here. If you've got uh, the materials, put it here. And we'll link you all together. And that works really well. Then we set up a number of uh, social media pages for people to post information about what was going on in various countries, um, the restrictions at the borders and so on and so forth. So that became a, a tool for members to see, okay, uh, what's the situation in Germany right now? Is it restricted? Is the capacity? Are there capacity? Are, are there any trucks? Are the ports open? Um, and that was useful as well. So I think I think being a small, you know, on the smaller side of company, you can adjust quickly. I think our members did adjust quickly. We adjusted quickly from our meetings. We created our own virtual conference platform. We held the last two years, a whole series of virtual conferences, online meetings, which was almost unanimously. People said, okay, it's not quite the same as face-to-face and we still want our face-to-face contact, but with that, but as we couldn't, this was darn near the, the next best thing. And w- we still managed to connect with our partners and, and generate some business and, and, you know, and do the stuff we were doing before, just in a virtual world. And, I, and and it just shows that technology is going to just play an absolutely vital role in in logistics going forwards. I truly believe that any logistics company that isn't prioritizing technology and how they're going to operate in the digital world in the next 10, 20 years is probably going to be left behind. I don't think there's a place for relying on making $100 on the freight charges on a container anymore. I think I think you have to have great service, great customer service, and part of that has got to be your, your digital evolution of your company into providing the best service you can. And that's something something we have to work on as well. Equally hard, if not more hard, to provide those tools for the members and also tools for us to communicate with the members. Because I don't think I don't think kids these days, they uh, will be doing do business the same way as we've done it. It'll, it's not going to change overnight. Um, and I don't think everything will be virtual. I think there'll still be a place for a meeting in person and face-to-face meetings and and doing business in the traditional way. But those digital tools are will be the enabler to make your company either a success or a failure.
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. And I know that the WCA has been investing in technology uh, for quite some yeah. time now, and they'll continue, there's plans to actually continue doing so. So Dan, yeah. the, if you could tell us a little bit more and just, again, uh, you are part of this episode because of uh, Logistics with Purpose and the amazing job that WCA is doing in Ukraine. And I believe that you launched uh a fund as well and you are doing tons of other things not only on the technology side of things but the financial side of things and of course helping and changing the world uh, with a very uh, I would say purpose-driven organization that you're currently leading. Um, Could you tell us a little more uh, about all the different projects that you have going on right now all the different services and then a little bit Get into a little more detail on the on the Ukraine situation, how you faced it, and and what your organisation and the WCA members are trying to do, and what the response has been because it's uh, it's inspiring. Sure. really.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I'll, ju- I'll just run over some of the other bits and pieces we've developed over the years because it's 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 been you know really good for our members to be able to take advantage of these things that we can offer as a group. Uh, For instance, our partner pay, Uh, there's more and more pay solutions, online digital pay solutions hitting the market every day. But uh, many people don't realize that we had a digital online payment system between members established 11 years ago. And the difference with ours is we don't do it as a commercial venture. So members can pay each other completely free of charge with no wire fees and no foreign currency markup. When you're paying from one currency to another so i don't know there's been members that have said that it saved them 30 40 000 in banking fees a year some of our bigger members using partner pay rather than straight wire transfers through the bank so that's one thing that we've been able to connect the members to is, is instant payments through our technology uh and completely free so that's that's a member huge member benefit um, some of the other things we've done is is we found that a lot of members didn't understand or had poor quality uh, insurance. I know insurance is a boring subject, but there's uh, <laughs> there's two types of insurance that we, we do. One is the happy one, is cargo insurance, which you can offer to your customers and you can charge an admin fee or, or whatever to, for that service. And you can make some money on the insurance. So... We offer an online cargo insurance program where any member can take whatever commodity that their shipper is shipping and say to their customer, "Hey, I can insure that for you. Let me let me try through uh, through the platform, get an instant quote, and then and then you know put on their fee and and, and charge it back to the customer. The customer's happy because their cargo is protected, and the forwarder's happy because um, they're making a, a, a little bit more money by adding an extra level of service to their customer." So that's that's been really successful. And the other quickly, the other type of insurance is the not so happy insurance is the liability insurance. There's something that a lot of forwarders neglect is to make sure they're protecting their business against. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have errors and omissions. You know, errors and omissions insurance, um, liability insurance is really important, especially you know when things go wrong on a on a shipment. Yeah, your customers holding you liable for that. Yeah. um and a lot of people don't really, they think they have it but they don't really look at their policy to see what it actually covers um so we we've got a a, a product called forda protect and we mark our members that do have either ours or another good liability insurance from another third party to show other members that these these companies are are protected legally against against legal action for any any mistakes they may have made or or any even unjust actions people bring against them so this is rather it,
2: easily to do as well right i think if someone's listening to us out there if you're a, a logistics company or work for a logistics company and uh, yeah if you have your everyone probably has already liability insurance but it's easy to just send they they can send you their information you can compare their insurance to yours it's very uh, straightforward isn't it
0: yeah uh, you can, you know, on either type of insurance, you can sign up to the cargo uh, insurance scheme and, and there's no obligation to use it. Right. But anytime you want to insure a product, you can just do it straight through the platform. And on the liability side, um, just drop a note to to our, our our in-house company, which is World Insurance Service, um, and they'll be happy happy to give you a quote on on. On any on your liability insurance, and um, we'll
2: add uh, we'll add all those links for people that are listening to yeah. us, and uh, they're probably just taking notes, so don't worry about it. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Yeah. We'll add all those notes to the uh, to the interview after after the
0: show when we post it.
2: All and, right. and I interrupted you, so you were saying the not so happy insurance. That's where yeah. That's so where that, that's
0: the liability. That's <laughs> where you're protecting yourself. So you know, we all need it. You don't make right. any money on it, but it protects your business. Right. And if you don't have it, your business could disappear one day through through no real fault of your own. So all I would say to everyone is make sure you, whoever it's with, make sure your liability insurance is, is of a decent standard. Um, then there's technology. I mean, we, we, we've we been working hard on a number of products right from the beginning of, of providing an electronic airway build platform to Connecting members through various digital platforms. Um, we're working on a number of with a number of partners on on various new products. We're looking to launch this year uh, an emissions tool that will allow members to um, evaluate and upload and get certificated for all of their emissions. It's more and more important to customers these days. They're demanding to know, or, or governments are demanding to know from them what their emissions are, so they need to know from their logistics provider. Um, an offsetting program as well that allow companies to offset, uh, or their customers to offset their emissions. That's one one uh, tool we're working with. We're working on with a number of other partners on developing better ways to connect directly into shipping lines and airlines, to to not only for, for rates, Uh, management but also for direct bookings i think the days of of phoning up your local airline or shipping rep for a rate are pretty much coming to an end yeah and uh that's in five five years time you know there's that's all pretty much going to be done digitally and and you need to be able to quickly evaluate the best uh solutions in terms of rates and, and routes you know from a computer screen Rather than the old days of collecting all the faxes you had in every morning and working out, you know who was who was charging what, but being able to utilize digital technology to do that for you, so your staff can get on with with less, you know, menial tasks and get on with growing the business.
2: Well, and tell us uh, about the foundation, which is something that, uh,
0: yeah, that so been David,
2: incredible, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a slight coincidence uh late last year we started saying right we've done some ad hoc uh charity work and and we did a number of shipments and with members quite a lot um when Beirut not only had a, a financial crisis but then had that huge port explosion yeah um and and they're still suffering from that still now uh and are still needing help but we we, we did uh, with a number of members some shipments of initially aid and then rebuilding materials and, a, and some financial support to our members and we thought you know these these uh, natural disasters or human disasters or wars or famines or whatever they are they're always going to something's always going to be happening and our members always like to help but you know there's no focal point to allow people to work together to to Provide solutions either at cost or even quite often free to to help members and and the communities they live in. So we decided to establish the WCA Foundation. It's a fully registered charitable organization in the US. Um, And the primary goal was to, to provide funding and also a focal point for our members to help with these these you know major or even sometimes less regional uh disasters or or natural events or or wars or civil unrest but people where where people are in difficulty maybe we can lend a hand so we were planning to launch that in our dubai conference um we did but also at that time uh the conflict in ukraine started um which was obviously a shock, um, right. and and was a quick test for us because immediately um, we had a lot of, we could see what was happening, that there was a huge refugee exodus from Ukraine, that there was a lot of damage to civilian areas, um, and also our, our members, we were worried about, we had 20 plus companies in Ukraine, we were worried about our members, they trying to stay in touch with them, check that they were okay, uh, trying to get them evacuated if we could, um and try and support them so uh wca put in some initial funding into the foundation um i'm glad to say uh quite a number of members have also contributed um and it doesn't have to be much you know fifty dollars a hundred dollars when you got ten thousand members it soon adds up to a sizable amount part of the foundation's briefing from david was strictly all money uh, donated will go directly to the projects there's no admin fee there's no managers we're paying there's no staffing costs our staff will do this for free or we'll, we'll employ people out of our own pocket so we want people to be reassured that a hundred dollars out of a hundred dollars they they put there is, is going to the cause not not uh marketing or or, or, or wages important. or salaries yeah yeah so i, I suddenly became thrust uh uh or thrust myself uh, towards... uh, Well, you
2: clearly didn't have enough things to do, right? So uh, (laughs) so I can see why.
0: (laughs) I thought I'd better just see what we can do uh, with Ukraine. So I talked to a lot of members, both in the bordering countries and in Ukraine itself, just to see what the situation was, see what they needed, see how goods could be uh, transported to and from, how hard it was to get stuff into Ukraine. And we started working it out. We started working with some other charities, and and with some real great support from a number of members in 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 the UK, Poland, uh Romania, and and various other countries, including you guys in the US. Um, we've managed to make an impact. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to claim we've 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 done some outstanding life changing work, but we've managed to. I think make a difference in, in some areas by, I think we've had, I don't know, 20, 30 shipments of aid wow. directly into Ukraine now. We've had a few more to the refugee camps in the border. We've supplied um, materials and sleeping bags or the materials to make uh, blankets and sleeping bags to a uh, factory set up by uh, women and widows in Ukraine to, to make uh, these materials for the for the camps um we've bought heaters and water heaters and and all this sort of stuff for for inside ukraine uh, and and some medical medical supplies as well so i think everyone's doing what they can but uh, i am pleased to say that the members contributions are going to good use and and our members uh, are very grateful uh i think for for the support of their fellow members that, that understand it's not about taking sides in the war it's about seeing a humanitarian crisis and helping the people that are in need and and our members have stepped up and hopefully we've been a good catalyst to help help them to help uh the ukrainian people at this time of need but but as as people have said you know this this won't be a short term thing they're going to need support and help for years to come however long this conflict lasts uh, the rebuilding the uh, the, the the suffering and, and the, the investment that's going to be needed to rebuild Ukraine is, is going to be you know probably a decade or more. Yeah. So it's easy to watch it on the news, and then after six months it sort of disappears from the back of your mind. But it, I think it's always important to remember that actually the hard work will start when the conflict ends, probably, uh, partly. And there's also all sorts of other things going on all around the world that, that we now also need to take a focus on. And, and not uh, it was never our intention for all the, the charity work to be as a Ukraine support thing. There are plenty of other people in need and, and members who need support that uh, that we'll we'll look at and invest in uh, as we get a chance in the next year, two years, three years. So it's exciting for me to do something like this. Uh, as I said, becoming a, a, a freight forward in terms of aid. I've never been a freight forward in my life. I had no idea what I was doing. I relied <laughs> on on you guys and and our wonderful members to help me get uh, get the shipments in and out. And it's been a team effort, and I'm I'm pretty proud of what we managed to accomplish so far. And you guys, you know, uh, you guys are typical of our members who who have stepped up and 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 not looking at commercial gain, but just looking at, at what's needed and and working really hard. Um. To provide solutions and um it's amazing what you guys are doing and uh i'm proud of our members like vector who are uh, who are really involved and in, and put the suffering of these people um to the forefront of their mind and act upon it so i think uh
2: i think we're all following your lead i think uh, again you're a uh, very Purpose mindful driven individual. And I think it reflects in the uh, organization, the WCA. David was the same way. And I know that everyone wants to really make a positive impact in the world. And so I, you know, speaking for me, my company, uh, we're just proud to be part of such a dynamic, caring, and uh, impactful group of people. So uh, congratulations to you and and all the other members because it's been, it's been. Uh, very inspiring as I I told you before, before we started recording. Maureen, you you wanted to say something too.
1: No, I mean, I think both of you are in a position where your leadership ability and the direction of what you're doing with the organization has a trickle down effect. And you can see, Dan, you can see what we're doing at Vector. You know, there's trickle down effect from Enrique and what he's made a priority to do. And then therefore we are all excited to to be, there's no internal conflict with us about wanting to support anyone that that needs something more than we do, right? And so with you at the WCA, taking that leadership stance, and like I said, leading by example, it lets the entire organization see where the priorities are and how to focus and move forward. And like you said, there's a collective effort of trying to help others, and that doesn't happen um, as easy if it's only a grassroots movement. I think when you have support at both ends, um, there's definitely so much more that you can accomplish.
0: And I think also, uh, you know, I'm sure Enrique will agree, Uh, you're only as strong as a platform you're built on, and both in terms of the network and us as a company, my staff, um, I wouldn't have been able to do this stuff if I didn't have our, our, our management and our executive management behind us. Who are so capable of their jobs i can literally take my hands off for three weeks or a month or whatever and concentrate on this and and they don't they don't need my help they're they're so capable um of uh, and and even with the ukraine thing it was it was great to be able to lean on our staff and say hey you know the members really really well in germany can you can you recommend to me who could do this right. or that And um, i relied i rely on our staff for everything really
2: it's a it's a great it's yeah, you, you have a good team at um, times running out uh, two things. Very, very final things. Uh, the first one is people that are listening to us. I'm sure they have enjoyed this conversation. Where can they learn more about the WCA? Where can they connect with you? Um, where can you where can they know a little bit more about the Ukraine and possibly even uh, donate if, if they want to and if they so uh, want to join this movement?
0: Sure. So it, it, WCA is is a global network. We we accept not only any freight forwarder that's been established more than a couple of years. We'll You're free to apply for membership. We do have criteria. I'm not going to go into them now, but that's a bit boring. But if it interests you, uh, please get in touch with us. Uh, all the contacts are on our website, at www.wcaworld.com. You can find your regional representative and they're happily Talk to you all through the benefits of joining and so on. But also if you're a, any other company that works with in logistics, we have a, a program called the Vendor Membership where we have airlines, charter brokers, IT companies, um, all sorts of companies that, that provide services to uh the logistics chain. Um please also get in contact because um freight forwarders don't stand on their own. That they right. need uh, it they need airlines they need shipping lines they need trucking companies they need all these various segments of the supply chain to work in harmony and we like to bring in these vendors as well so we can work with them to provide uh, better services to our members
2: absolutely
0: so yeah you can go to our website same with the foundation uh you'll find find details uh of the foundation at wc world um and you can find out more and, and find out how we managed to support 10,000 uh, small and medium sized freight forwarding companies. Um, we'll put, uh,
2: we'll put all the information as well, so you can just click, uh, click on the links. Um, Dan, uh, very short call to action to our viewers. Anything that yep. you would like them to, to do and think about?
0: Uh, I, I think the most crucial thing uh, in the entire supply chain, but especially for logistics companies and freight forwarders, is to have a, a real strong strategy for the next 10 years in terms of uh, digitalization of your business and thinking about the future. Um, I think there's great opportunities out there, fantastic opportunities for people who who really uh, pre-plan uh, how they're going to take their business and see the opportunities out there.
2: There you go. I think
0: it, I think that would be my key message. Pre planning,
2: pre planning, yeah. and good the, opportunities uh... Uh, in the future. Marine, uh, we had a great conversation with Anne. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spotlight. I know you love that. Uh, what was your favorite part? What did you learn?
1: Mm, I so I'll be honest because the, all the the WA stuff was a very interesting on a professional level. But I read this article earlier this week about. I don't know if you had read it, Dan or Enrique, about this uh, pilot who had fallen unconscious um, off the coast of Florida, and the the passenger had called, found the walkie-talkie or whatever on the plane and called, um, and was guided in by a flight instructor and landed the plane, and all everything was fine. And I always. I'm terrified of flying. Every time we take off and land, I get nervous. So I was thinking of that when you were talking about your story about with your dad and learning how to fly. And I wanted to, I didn't want to interrupt, but I wanted to bring it up to see if you had read the story. And kind of what you thought about the feasibility of somebody actually uh, being able to land a plane by almost, you know, paint-by-number
2: style. Yeah, it sounds now. like a movie almost, right? I mean, I bet yeah. style I, movies did, like that. did
1: you read it? It happened uh, like in Florida in the past week or so. I'm gonna we'll put it, out.
2: we'll put the link on, on the call as well. No, no, did you read episode.
0: the story or not?
1: Or did you I hear did it?
0: see it. Okay. I did see it and uh, it, it's an amazing story and it's, it's happened a few times in history where, where a live plane, the pilot's gone out and someone, some novice has taken control. And
1: they were over and the ocean and everything, yeah.
0: It, <laughs> It must be terrifying, (laughs) can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But credit's got to go for the people who talk them through what to do. I mean, that's got to be a big pressure situation. Can you imagine? Well, I guess they called the
1: guy, like the pilot instructor, from home or off his lunch break or something. They're like, we have a situation. We need you to come in.
2: Wow. Well, that's right. Yeah. it's uh, it's incredible and a good story dan thank yeah. you thank you so much for joining us today for no a pleasure. There, listening to another episode of logistics with purpose if you like conversations like the one that we just had with dan don't forget to subscribe thank you so much safe travels everyone <laughs> and <laughs> um have a have a great day thank you
0: thank you so much